0: Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Well, we are in a series right now called Home Improvement. And uh, I'm excited about this. We are uh, discovering how to let the kingdom of God transform our most intimate relationships. Uh, God is doing some spiritual renovations in our home, right? And, and uh, we're talking about marriage. We're talking about singleness. We're talking about parenting, uh, all kinds of things like that. And uh, today we are talking about Marriage. We're going to be talking about marriage. Just a reminder also to shoot us your questions regarding any of these subjects. Marriage, parenting, dealing with family members, being single or dating, whatever it is that you have, uh, you just really have a great question burning in your heart. And we're going to try to answer as many of these as we can. There's lots of different ways you can contact us on the questions for pastor. Uh, On the phone app, there's a questions button there. Also on that phone app is is a serve button that you can serve in Kids World or any of our other ministries too. So hit that serve button and then you can send me a question. Uh, you can also email us at questions at gchurch.net or you can tweet your question however you want to do it. Uh, but we would love to have uh, your questions because we want to hear from you, the real things going on in your life. Before we dive in today, let me say this. I want to say a word to folks who are unmarried. Um, first of all, we will be talking uh, about being single in the kingdom later on in this series, coming up in either next week or the week after that. Uh, but also, I encourage you not to tune out uh, today's message just because you might not be married. Um, Because there are powerful principles the Bible teaches all of us. In fact, it's interesting. I'll say this. Something that has struck a lot of scholars is that Scripture, uh, a surprising amount of New Testament Scripture... uh, does or a surprising little amount of new testament scripture applies only to marriage. In the old testament you have you have a lot of things said about marriage. In the new testament not as much. It's almost as if in the kingdom in this new kingdom Jesus has brought us the lines between our immediate family and our our larger body of Christ church family get blurred a little bit more. Like more things are applicable to all of us. Like we're supposed to enlarge our circles. And so uh, today is a prime example of principles that will absolutely, I believe, save a marriage, no doubt. Uh, they will make your marriage more joyful, more loving. But they will have, these principles will have just a power, as powerful an impact on relationships uh, for your single people, uh, that the relationships that you have around you. Let me also just say this too, today's message is by no means the last word on marriage because uh, that would be impossible in one sermon. Uh, and so I, I would urge every couple here, uh, help you get together during the week, dive deeper into the scriptures that we're going to be looking at. Get with your home life group this week because home life is going to be talking about this. We're going to be digging in even deeper into this stuff. And couples, I encourage every couple to do this. Seek Older couples. Con- get, get in contact with older couples who have successfully navigated these waters and learn from them. Let them mentor you. Let them bless you and, and just help you find your way through uh, this wonderful thing of marriage. And let me say this. If you are having problems, uh, go, seek help. Don't keep it in don't keep it private. Don't suffer in silence. Seek help. Talk to your pastors. Talk to an elder. And if you have a more extensive problem, seek professional counseling. I tell you what. I, I my heart breaks sometimes for, um, for 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 couples who are suffering at home, and for whatever reason, one or both spouses won't get outside help. I don't know if it's a matter of shame or or something or whatever it is, uh, or just feeling like uh, a loss of hope or whatever it is. Seek help. Marriage is too important a thing to just go. Uh, Matt, you know, this is hard, let's ditch it, right? Seek help. Um, If you would like uh, a book to read on this subject, if you're a reader, the one that I cannot recommend highly enough is Dr. John Gottman's "The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work." This guy's just a relationship genius; uh, just so good. There's just so much packed into this this book. Um, it's one of the best. Another book that is a more recent book uh, is uh, "Together" by uh, uh, Ann and Tim Evans. It's a it comes at it from a Christian perspective, a kingdom perspective. Also, I would recommend you check out our series. We did a series about a year ago last fall called Side by Side. Melissa and I both uh, shared some really in-depth series of teachings uh, on the relationships between men and women in the kingdom. So I would encourage you to check out some other resources too. There's some things that we talked about in that series in more depth that we won't repeat ourselves necessarily today. Just because there's so much to, to say on this subject. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So... Basically, today is not the final word on marriage, okay? I do, however, believe this. I believe that God this morning wants to begin to heal marriages in this house and people listening by podcast. I believe that God wants to do some some serious help and healing to marriages who are under attack. How many of you know marriages under attack? Amen. Amen. We we all know it. Will you pray with me? Let's pray right now. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, for this moment. I thank you for this kingdom moment. And for every person in this room, Lord, or watching the live stream or listening by podcast, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will take this message, just infuse it with your authority, your clarity. We rebuke any spirit that would have an agenda to bring confusion or distortion or anything like that. And I ask, Lord, that your word would just go forth clearly and boldly. Build the kingdom in us, Lord. Build your character in us. Mold us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. Heal relationships today, I believe you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Last week... We asked, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? This, is, this scripture is kind of our guiding principle through this whole series. Jesus told us to do this in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom. And God's going to make sure everything else lines up for you. It means to, seeking first the kingdom means to allow your life to be a realm over which God rules. The kingdom is is this amazing thing. It's it's kind of a mysterious thing too. Jesus comes 2,000 years ago and announces the coming of the kingdom. He says it's the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's right here. And so we think of the kingdom as something that is here. At the same time, you walk outside, read the news, some of the things that you're living through right now, we know there's a lot of heartache and heartbreak and despair, tragedy going on in the world. So something's not quite right right? The kingdom is not fully taken place in the earth. It is, that's why we call it the already not here kingdom. It's already here and yet it's not yet already, all here. And so the, the kingdom of heaven is, is this, this realm over which God rules. And the kingdom of heaven, I like to think of it as something that spreads with every step we take. We are enlarging the kingdom of heaven with every step. A kingdom of heaven means that's having a life that reflects Jesus to other people being the kingdom we talked about that last week being the kingdom means it's kind of like living inside this bubble where god's will is made manifest to the world through you and and you we choose we choose to make manifest the kingdom of god and for christ followers here's where the kingdom and marriage intersect because for for christian couples the kingdom is the defining framework for marriage the kingdom Now, yes, marriage is is part of lots of different things, and it needs love, and it needs, you know, romance, and, and all that good stuff for sure, but on a greater scale, kingdom marriage is a partnership with a purpose, a partnership with a purpose, and that purpose is to reflect the love and the glory of God. And having a kingdom marriage, it means we don't do things like the pagans do, we just, it should, it should look different. Number one, we don't lord it over each other, right? That's what pagans have been doing for 10,000 years. We don't lord it over each other. We don't struggle for power and engage in this battle of the sexes over who has final say-so, you know, who, who's the boss, uh, who wins the argument. Uh, husbands and wives in the kingdom both get to act, like Jesus. Right? Jesus came to reverse the curse. That whole battle of the sex, that's part of the curse. Right? That's not the Genesis 1. That's the Genesis 3 effect. And so, Jesus comes to reverse the curse. And so, things are different in the kingdom. And what does Jesus tell us to do? He tells us to lay down our power. That's how we act like Jesus. Jesus, who was God, is God, has it all in heaven. He comes to, he- comes to earth, and the Bible says he laid down, laid aside his power and his privilege to serve. And so, that's what we get to do in our marriages. We lay it down, mutually submitting to one another in love and humility. Now, when I say that word, that phrase, mutual submission, we talked a lot of about this in our side-by-side series that I mentioned, but there's one thing about it. When, when I say that, so many of us instantly, our, our minds instantly go to what? Decision-making. That's usually what is the, is, you know, the next part of the conversation when you talk about mutual submission between husbands and wives, we automatically think of decision-making. Who's the boss? Is it him? Is it her? Or is it Jesus? Who's, who's making the decisions? That's actually not what I want to focus on today though, because think about the actual real life conversations that you and your spouse have had over the last week, maybe this morning, maybe yesterday the the conversations you have every day i would predict that a relatively small percentage of those interactions the words that you and your spouse actually say are actually about trying to decide something important right I mean, how often does that happen? Every once in a while, we've got to make a decision. But how often are we actually trying to decide something important, making an important decision? Unless you run your marriage like a business, and you're just sending memos to each other about important matters, which you have some other issues and you need some counseling. Most of the interaction that we have with each other is just communicating thoughts and communicating feelings and ideas with each other, ideas, stories, hopes and dreams, fears and frustrations. Isn't that right? That's most of the conversations we're having. It, that, that means being a couple that practices Christ-like mutual submission and love, it doesn't just come into play when you're dealing with, you know, how much to budget on groceries or where are we going to send the kids to school. Where it really shows up, where mutual submission really shows up is in how well you communicate in just the everyday, every other minute conversations you're having, how well you truly listen to just the other person, talk about how they feel, talk about their day, talk about their concerns or their frustrations at work or their frustration with their brother-in-law or something, you know, or, or, or uh, what's happening at home or in the workplace or with family or friends or their frustrations with you, Right? Or, or maybe what God's been talking to them about in their personal, quiet devotional time. Good communication is at the heart of having a kingdom-oriented, Christ-like marriage. So let's talk uh, about let's talk about communication for a second. The word communication it comes from the Latin word communicare. This word communicare is interesting. It actually means to make something common, to share something. And that's what communication is. You're taking something that is in here, in your head, and you're sharing it with this other person. So now that you both have this thought in common, that's communication. An idea or a feeling or an experience, whatever it is that you're talking about. Now, the interesting thing is, that's really kind of the definition of relationship too, isn't it? When you think about that, you're relating with another person when you're allowing some private part of your life or a time of your life to intersect with other people. And so that now you're using that private part of your life and you're sharing it with somebody. You're, you're in relationship. So really communication and relationship are, on, are kind of two sides of the same coin. And one thing we know is that the kingdom of God is all about relationship. Amen? And we are wired this way. We're wired this way because we're created by a triune God who is this way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He exists in this perpetual, perfect, loving, communing relationship, this harmonious relationship. And God creates the world to put on display and to participate in that same beautiful, loving, harmonious relationship. So really, when you think about it, the goal of all of our communication should be to reflect the harmony and the beauty and the love of this triune God that we serve, right? And that goes doubly so with marriage, because now there's two of us living in the same house, both trying to reflect the harmony and the beauty and the love of, the, of our God. But let's be honest, not all of our communication does reflect God's harmony and beauty and love, right? You may have experienced this this very morning on the way to church, Some of our communication gets pretty ugly. Especially with people that we are closest to, right? Like our spouse. And so why is communication so hard? Uh, Understanding the answer to this is important because it'll help us to start to aim uh, towards God's ideal. We tend to think that communication is a pretty straightforward thing. I talk and you listen. You talk, I listen, right? There, we've communicated. Uh, What's the big deal? But remember, communicare is making a meaning common, sharing a meaning. And that goes beyond just talking and hearing. It involves a lot of speaking and listening, right? So you can have a lot of people who are doing a whole lot of talking at each other and not communicating at all. Has anybody ever experienced that? Amen. And all the honest people raise their hand. There's one back there. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Um, I want to show you a, a clip from a popular show a lot of people like. It deals with the uh, pitfalls of communication. Check this out.
1: A.K.A. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360, comes Xbox One. (laughs) Why One? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. (laughs) Can you get the butter, please? Yeah, however, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. (laughs) Then get the other one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek-looking. No way! It's true. But the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, see, well, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included?! Yes! <laughs> Not sold separately. You, although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? <laughs> See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Whoa, 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 wait a second. The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? See, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the butter. It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 uh, <that's> good stuff. <sighs> that's so funny. By the way, what Amy is practicing there is something they call active listening book. (laughs) You you learn more about that in John Gottman's book. Um, There was a a country song that came out years ago uh, called, She Said He Heard. I don't know if you've heard of this song. Um, I'm not sure if she was uh, popular or not, Um, but I found this song on the internet and I listened to it so that you don't have to. because because friends don't let friends listen to country music. Um, oh no, okay. Oh, uh, bye. Okay, sorry. I've I've alienated half of you. I'm sorry. Uh, Mel's always tell me know your crowd, right? So no, I'm sorry. Okay, I it's, I try. I've tried to like country music. I, li- I like lots of different music. It's just I just can't quite quite get there. Um, of course, I listened to speed metal when I was a teenager, so I can't say that like my musical taste is all that you know, refined or anything like that. So. Uh, but this, I have to admit, this, this country song has some good lines that sound, I think sound kind of familiar to some of us. In the song, she, she said, I'm sad, and he heard, it's all your fault. <laughs> she said, I need your attention. He heard, I want you to crawl. He looked at her like she was speaking Chinese with some of the letters left out. Chinese doesn't actually have letters, but country music. (laughs) Try as he may, he just didn't know what she was talking about. Later in the song she says, I think we're from two different planets. Uh, That's hilarious. Makes me think, you know, years ago, there was the, the book that came out, uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, and it, it was helpful on some levels, but i got to say, since then, I've met a lot of Venusian men and Martian women, and some people were, like, from Pluto, so I don't think that really holds up. Uh, those stereotypes quite hold up. But uh, if you have been married for, for more than four minutes, you probably relate to this song a little bit. It happens all the time, Right? it happens all the time. Does this sound like your house? You know, maybe the, 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 the guy is thumbing through the drawers, says, honey, do we have any batteries? And what she hears is, it's your job to keep this house stocked with all of my needs, right? <laughs> or, uh, or she says, uh, you know, I just, I just want to be romanced every once in a while. And what he hears is, you are a complete failure as a husband. Nobody else, just me, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> or she says do i look fat in these jeans and what he hears is do you ever want to get to sleep in my bed again <laughs> uh There's a big gulf between what is said and what is heard because communication isn't simple, right? A lot can go wrong between my mouth and your ears and vice versa. This gap between what is said and what is heard is enormous. Part of the problem is we have trouble paying attention today more than ever just because we live at 1,000 miles an hour. And part of the problem is we just, uh, one study found that uh, 70 on the average American, 75% of the time, we are not paying attention fully to what we're doing. 75%. That, to me, that shows we have lost the art of being fully present in the moment. And, and that will bite you bad when you're in a conversation with a spouse, right? What else makes communication tough, though, is that we have, to, we have to not just be aware of the words being said, but for each of us, there is this universe of meaning and nuance and baggage behind the words that we use. Meaning that verbal communication is inherently ambiguous because we all have these different filters that interpret things and our filters are all very different. You can think of your your personal filters as if we all have our very own map of the landscape and some of us this is how we we view things we view the world we view what we're talking a mental map of what's going on around us what our words mean and that map is generated by your personal history your personality might be your your generation your age your stage your social group we all filter out certain things or we emphasize certain other things depending on our map and it's why we can interpret the world and even objective facts very differently. For instance, here's an example. Something that uh, is, is, a, is a big deal right now uh, in our society. If you say the word police right now, I would venture to say some of us here, Some of you would probably think, well, that's a good word, police. Yeah, it means protection and safety and law and order and, you know, rescuing kittens from trees and all that kind of stuff. For others of us, the word police has a much more negative connotation. You might get a feel a pit of anxiety in the, your belly when I say that word. Uh, for you, it's, it feels there's a threatening vibe to it, either because of an experience you have had or some of the horrible events that we've seen on the news, you know, of innocent people getting targeted or, or even killed. That's an example of how different people can live side by side but live in completely different worlds, And we don't even realize it about each other. And the perspective of the other person can feel totally foreign to you. You can be like, how how can you possibly think that about that word, right? And the other person is like, how could you possibly think that about that word? And vice versa. Because we have different maps of the same territory, right? Both of these, by the way, are North America from two different perspectives. Uh, or if I say the word father, that's a, that's a big one too. Some of us, you say father, and you get a warm, fuzzy feeling because you had a good relationship with your dad. Or maybe it makes you think of your good God, right? He's a good, good father. And you just, oh, I love that word father. And then others of us, you say that word father and you immediately feel that pit of trauma in your belly because maybe you had an abusive father. Or you experienced a totally absent father, no relationship. So, it's just this empty void there when we we say that word. Um, Or if I say the word Congress, actually, all of us don't like Congress. So, that's a little, (laughs) I was reading a statistic, by the way. That's one of those words where the map has shifted. Uh, The latest poll said 6%. There's a 6% approval rating of Congress. And you just got to like wonder about that 6%. Right? (laughs) Who's the 6% going? Those congressmen. They are knocking it out of the park. Way to go. I don't know. Anyway, now the problem, all all of that is that's just life. We have these different maps of the same territory. Not that either one is the more accurate map. They're just two different maps of the same objective territory. The problem is when we assume that our map is the territory. And as fallen creatures in a cursed world, that is what we tend to do. The way we interpret the world, the meaning we give to words, our default, we just assume that's the way it is. I'm thinking, right, right? We have objective access. To reality. Maybe, you know, maybe other people have to go through these filters, you know, and things like that, but our perception of things is the right one. And as long as we have that attitude that our map is the objectively accurate picture of all things, then if another person disagrees with us, if they have a different map, then they're just wrong. They're just wrong, right? Now, maybe they're mistaken, or maybe they're idiots, or maybe they're being wrong intentionally. Mm, They're being purposefully deceptive, right? Because their map's just all wrong. And this is what gives gives rise to this us-them polarization that really describes our current culture. People get locked into their map. And we like to hang out with people who have similar maps to us, don't we? Because it makes us feel more right. Right? We find someone else, and you're like, yeah, right? Come on. Yeah. And we like to hang out with that. And so people start self-selecting into these little opinion silos so that we don't have to do the hard work of listening and communicating, because that takes work, listening and communicating. And we lose the capacity to even talk to each other. And in the church, in the kingdom, this ought not to be. Amen. Amen. Especially in a church where we say, you know, unity is more important than uniformity. That should not be. We should not be separated by these maps. Communication is about a shared meaning. Making something common, which means that you have to allow their map and your map to overlap to some degree. But for that to happen, it requires us to suspend our map for a moment when we're talking to someone, especially someone very close to us. We have to suspend our map, even if it is foreign to us. Maybe it's objectionable to us, but we set it aside. And you may not, at the end of the day, you may not agree with them, and that's okay, that's just fine. But communication only happens to the degree that we access another person's map, which means that we can't idolize our own map. And that's what we do. We, we turn it into an idol. It's impossible to communicate with a person as long as you confuse your map for being the territory. Your map is not the territory. And I know this can get hard because, you know, maybe it feels like your your spouse is speaking another language. They're speaking Chinese with, you know, the letters left out. Or, or you're trying to talk about a subject and they're coming at it from maybe… You know, kind of a cold logic based map, and, and you're more emotive in your expression. And it's like you're speaking in tongues to each other if you've had that experience. Now, the Bible has quite a lot to tell us how to find answers. And uh, the scripture that is, is our primary focus today to, to guide us through this is found in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. By the way, notice, who is he talking to? Brothers and sisters. So this is all of us. We're, talking about, we're going to be talking about some mutual submission when it comes to our conversation. In order to get in on the other person's map, we have to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this is huge when it comes to marriage, huge when it comes to marriage, all right? There are tons of scriptures that touch on this. Um, because real listening re- is, is, uh, requires the spiritual fruit of humility. Listening requires humility because you are submitting yourself to their map, which means that you temporarily set aside your map. And this goes for whoever we're talking to in the church. So, and here's where we as, as Christ followers, we can begin to see our way through this tangled maze, okay? Because listening, listening is actually an act of love. Did you know that? Listening is an act of love. Everything we do, Scripture tells us, is to be done in love, everything is to be done in love. And it's love because you are saying to this person, you are worth listening to. You're worth it. You're worth the work that it's going to take me to get on the inside of your head and your heart. You're, you're ascribing to them worth to listen to them that way. Douglas Steer, who is a Great Quaker author. He makes this profound statement. He says, To listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery. I love the way he says that. L- to listen, he uses that verb transitively. To listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery may be almost the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. This is a beautiful statement. And, and, Other people have called this concept holy listening, holy listening. You dignify them by your willingness to submit, to hear, and to learn from them. And what are you learning from them? You're learning about them. It's not necessarily that you're going to end up agreeing on some fact y'all are talking about. That's not why you listen. You don't stop listening because, well, I don't agree with them, so I don't need to listen to this. No, you're listening not just to learn from them about a fact, but to learn from them about them because they are worth it. They are a human being and they're worth it. And so we listen, we listen. So let me offer a few practical takeaways based on this passage from James 1.19, being quick to listen and slow to speak, okay? The first one is this. Number one, wait until you are sure of what's being said before you reply. <laughs> that seems really obvious, but it's, it's so true. Wait to reply just till you're sure what's actually being said. This is a piece of wisdom the Bible stresses over and over. Don't respond until you're sure what you are responding to. Proverbs 18 uh, has a few verses on this. Uh, over in ver, uh, cha- eight, chapter 18, verse 2, it says, A fool does not find joy in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Over in verse 13, it says, Whoever gives an answer before he listens is stupid and shameful. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15, The mind of a person who has understanding acquires knowledge. The ears of wise people seek knowledge. So do you seek affirmation or are you seeking knowledge about that person? A wise person wants to know what the other person is saying. But a fool only wants to start talking before they've even heard what the other person is saying. And look, I know this can get worse the longer you have been married. The reason is because you come to think you know the other person so well. You come to know their patterns. You know what they're going to say. So, you, you know, so you get their rhythm. You get their pattern. And as soon as they start talking on a topic, your brain goes blah, 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 blah. I know where this is going. I've heard this before. And so, we stop listening. Number two, listen to understand, not to respond. Listen to understand. Don't just be, when they're talking, don't just be formulating your clever reply. I, I'm bad at this. I'm just going to tell you, right? We're, we're sitting there thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, here's how I'm fixing to answer her. Yes, yes. We're nodding maybe and, you know, say, we're doing all the right things with our eyeballs, but thinking up that reply. We're thinking of how, maybe we're thinking of how we're going to help the situation. I already think of how I'm going to help this, or, or I'm going to think of a way to defend what she's just saying, you know, or something like that. It, that's not listening, right? Listen to understand the other person, and that ascribes worth to the person when you're listening to understand what's going on inside them. But if you're listening to just respond, you are saying you're really not worth listening to, and that's not loving, is it? That's not loving and this is especially hard now if the topic of conversation is a critique of you <laughs> that's hard to shut off the little voices and listen to not be sitting there thinking oh i'm going to say this boy i got checkmate in store as soon as you're done talking you wait i got this is going to be devastating <laughs> right that takes great maturity to as fallen beings we When we're criticized, right, when we're criticized, we have a tendency to just want to lawyer up, right? Come on with it. And we start building these protective defenses and our little reptilian brain gets triggered and and we want to react, right? Right? We have this thing I was reading about in our brain. Some of you know all this already. It was news to me. We have this thing called your amygdala. Did you know about this? Your amygdala is this amazing part of your brain that, that has just God has adapted to our brain. And uh, your amygdala does some amazing things. It's the thing that kind of helps you do this flight or fight or flight response, you know, so if like a wolf is chasing you, you can run really fast without thinking too much about it. Or if somebody threatens your family, you you know, you fight and that sort of thing. It does that without too much thinking at all, like happens in milliseconds. And it's amazing. It's amazing. You've heard stories about like the mom who can lift the car, you know, because the adrenaline, you know, her kids enter or something like that. Those are real real things. Your amygdala goes into, into action, and that's beautiful. The problem is your amygdala is also stupid. And it does not know the difference, it turns out, between a physical attack and an emotional one. Or a verbal attack. It doesn't know the difference. So someone verbally critiques you, to put it nicely. What do you want to do? Whoa, react. You want to fly. You know, let's go at it. And so we, we have this thing, this instinctual thing that's built into our, our bodies. And scripture says, no, wait. To give a response, listen to what the other person is saying. Why? Because communication is shared meaning. It's shared meaning. And for that to happen, you have to stop the internal chatter. Basically, shut up and listen. Don't be filtering their map through your map. Um... Some other good scriptures here in Proverbs 21 says, Watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief, as a lot of us have learned. Amen. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Lord, please just help me shut up. You know, sew my lips shut. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What comes out of our mouth has the power of life and death. That is the truth. Life and death in the power of the tongue. And that means, number three, Listening to the heart behind the words that are being said. Listen for the meaning of what is being said, not just the words. This is called, concept called empathizing. Empathizing. To empathize means that you walk in their shoes. It means you genuinely try to enter into their experience and see the world from their perspective, which is going to be a challenge if you don't like their perspective, right? Right? You wanna refute their take on things, but you don't even know what you're refuting until you step inside of it. You know, you'll know when you're doing this well. You'll know when you have understood them, when you can start to see how a person, from their perspective, with their story, with their set of assumptions, how they would see the situation they do. When you're able to say, You know what? It makes sense for me from inside your world. I I can see from with the things that you've experienced or the, you know, the way you are wired. I can totally see inside there. Now, you you may not still agree with them, but you've understood them. You can see how it makes sense from their map. So be quick to listen. James also says, be slow to speak. So at some point, there's going to be a time to speak. When it is that time, what's our guiding principle? For a follower of Jesus Christ, this is very simple. It goes for when you're talking to your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or a friend or an enemy. Our guiding principle when we speak is love. Speak in love. Over in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Do everything in love. That word everything in the Latin means everything. (laughs) Everything. Fascinating word. Do everything in love. And when we do have to say something that may be a little challenging for that other other person to hear, what does Ephesians 4 tell us? It says speak the truth in love. And say we lie. Say we speak the truth in love. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen truth and love. And that comes after we've done what? Shut up first. We've listened. We're not, as soon as they start talking, I'm going to speak some truth and love to you. Just stop. Right? No, no, no. We've listened. You know, we had three steps of listening before we got to speaking truth and love. And when it's your turn to answer somebody, maybe who did, maybe this conversation is a critique on you. Who's coming at you in anger? What does Proverbs 15, 1 say? A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs the pot, baby. A soft answer turns away wrath. Let me see this. I encourage you, if you are entering into a conversation, this is with your spouse, at work, wherever you are, and you know this is going to be a tough conversation, you know. You may be feeling the anxiety before you walk in the room because this is thing, this got scheduled and you got to have this conversation. It's going to be tough to hear. Maybe it's one of those conversations where it's a critique of you. Just remind yourself of this, that your life comes from Christ. You get your life, your worth, your significance, your security, your lovability is found in Christ. And that's never going to change. What God thinks about you is not going to change after this conversation. So you don't need to be your own defense attorney. And whether what they're saying about you or about to say to you is unfair or maybe it actually has a little truth to it, it's just tough to hear. Either way, we don't have to react impulsively. We don't have to beat our chest to protect our worth and significance because your core sense of worth and significance is found in Christ Christ. It's found in Christ, and that frees you to be able to enter in to someone else's map and learn and be curious about and learn why do they see things the way they do. And you might learn some truth about yourself in the process that can help you grow. You know what else? You might also learn that you might discover a part of them that is speaking out of some kind of woundedness, right? that you can pray for. Either way, remember this. The apostle Paul says our ultimate struggle is never against flesh and blood. In Ephesians 6, he says but it's against our struggle is against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Evil spiritual forces. And this brings us to a fifth principle that's that's most important of all in all of this. Know your real enemy know your real enemy guys couples listen to me there is a, a thief out there who wants to steal kill and destroy that is all he does is steal kill and destroy and he comes to steal kill and destroy whatever is good in your relationships with people and he would like nothing more than to pit you and your spouse against each other instead of seeing you both come together uniting against him in the name of Jesus don't underestimate the spiritual element to all of this, this, this whole thing, right? There is a lot more than just psychology going on. When Jesus comes into this world, and when we talk about spiritual warfare, I know sometimes for some, for some folks these days, you know, we live in an age of reason, and so for some folks, spiritual warfare is kind of like the embarrassing stuff. We want to keep the closet door closed about our, our Christianity, but when Jesus comes into the world, he inaugurates this kingdom of God, and we, we preach that, He inaugurates this kingdom of God. What we have to remember is the flip side of that fact is that when he did that, he was overthrowing the kingdom of darkness that was already in power. Spiritual warfare is real. And whether we realize it or not, aligning ourselves with God's kingdom, when you do that, you are stepping into spiritual warfare, right? War is upon you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. You are. You're stepping into spiritual warfare and your enemy doesn't like it. And so there is a huge spiritual element to all of this. Let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever had this happen when you're, maybe you're having an argument or something with, a, with your spouse and uh, you're in this conversation and all of a sudden it just like escalates to this absurd, ridiculous place. Where like both of you are talking past each other and nobody understands anybody. No words even make sense anymore. It is like this bizarre tower of Babel breaks out and there's nothing but heat and confusion and anger and you both realize your words are just flying past each other. Has anybody besides Melissa and I have ever experienced this kind of a conversation? We make fun of one that was early in our marriage. It was very, very early and uh, it was all about toothpaste. We... Almost lost everything over that. I mean, toothpaste. I encourage you, when you are in that moment, consider the possibility that there is something else going on in that moment. It might not just be about toothpaste. There is something else. We have found that if you can stop and join forces with that other person, reaffirm that they are not the enemy, maybe, maybe right now you don't like them too much, right? You might be really mad at them, but whatever it is, join forces in Jesus' name and you take authority over anything in the spiritual realm that is polluting the atmosphere, the environment that is causing confusion. You bind that thing in Jesus' name, I'm telling you, man, there is a cleansing effect. It is like someone opens the, the windows and this fragrance comes in and there is clarity in the room, all of a sudden, I'm telling you what, couples, I promise you, just the act of coming together, even in the hardest moment, coming together and identifying the common enemy. You have a common enemy. It is not each other. You reaffirm that you're each other's ally, not each other's enemy. You're each other's ally. I'm telling you what, guys, don't let your marriage become a victim of a defeated foe. Scripture tells us Jesus came for this reason was the son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. Spiritual warfare is real, guys. Don't let a defeated foe ruin your marriage. He's already been conquered by Jesus who died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Know who your enemy is in Jesus' name. Know who your enemy is. Know who your savior is and get yourself a kingdom marriage and start humbly submitting to each other in your conversations together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we're about to go into this time of communion and worship, Lord, I pray that you would just infuse this time with your Holy Spirit and your power. Lord, inhabit the praises of your people. Help us to focus totally on you and teach us, Lord, to humble ourselves to you And to each other. Lord, may we submit our tongue, our ears, our life, our worship, our everything to you right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.